The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Hope is on the Horizon for Non-Alcoholic Steatohepatitis, Leveraging the Power of Next Generation Monitoring and Pharmacotherapies. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash RVV 860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. Find out how much you know about optimal management of NAFLD and NASH through a simple three-step process in this self-assessment activity comprising four question modules. First, answer the baseline question to evaluate your knowledge and skills. Next, review the supporting evidence shared by Dr. Rohit Lumba. Finally, answer the question again to demonstrate what you've learned. Each correct answer automatically counts toward post-test completion, which means that getting your CME credit is fast and easy. Hello, I'm Dr. Rohit Lumba from University of California, San Diego. I'm Professor of Medicine and Director of Non-Alcoholic Fatty Liver Disease Research Center at UC San Diego. Welcome to this educational activity on non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. Our objectives for this activity describe NASH and NAFRD as a metabolic disease, provide you with the latest information on pathophysiology and potential therapeutic targets for NASH and NAFRD, especially the role of glucagon-like peptide 1 in treatment of NAFRD, show you how to use non-invasive tests and biomarkers to monitor disease progression, and explore methods for initiating early guideline-based management with available and emerging agents for NASH. NAFRD is a spectrum of liver disease that ranges from simple steatosis to non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, the progressive form of fatty liver disease. NAFRD is defined based upon either a liver biopsy or imaging modality where at least 5% of hepatocytes are infiltrated with liver fat in individuals who consume little or no alcohol and do not have a secondary cause for hepatic steatosis. NASH, the progressive form of fatty liver disease, has a typical histologic presentation among individuals who have clinical spectrum of NAFRD. On liver biopsy, NASH is characterized by hepatic steatosis, lobular inflammation, along with hepatocyte ballooning with or without perisinusoidal fibrosis. Many patients also have melody dank bodies. Patients with NASH can go on to progress to cirrhosis and hepatocellular carcinoma. Globally, the prevalence of NAFRD is approximately 32%, while the prevalence of NASH is between 12 to 14%. The prevalence is especially higher in patients who have type 2 diabetes and obesity. In one study, 70% of patients with type 2 diabetes were found to have NAFLD, and about 15% were found to have clinically significant fibrosis. Here you can see the projected prevalence of NAFLD worldwide by country in 2019 and then looking at 2030. And we can see that the prevalence is projected to increase globally. Here we can understand the natural history of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. In the United States, we think about 80 million Americans may have NAFLD, and about 15 to 20 may have the progressive form of NAFLD, NASH. The rate of fibrosis progression in NASH is thought to be about one stage per seven year. The number one cause of mortality in patients with NASH is cardiovascular disease, followed by cancer, and liver disease is the third leading cause of mortality in patients with NASH. Once you develop cirrhosis, the risk of liver-related morbidity and mortality exponentially increases. The risk of hepatocellular carcinoma in patients with cirrhosis due to NASH 
is about 1.5 to 2% per year. Now you could develop hepatocellular carcinoma without going through cirrhosis in some patients with NASH, although it's rare. This is a major unmet need to identify who among patients with NASH would develop hepatocellular carcinoma. And if we can identify them earlier, once you develop cirrhosis, you have increased risk of liver failure or hepatic decompensation, and these patients might require liver transplantation. NASH is now the second leading indication for liver transplantation in the United States. DAFLD is part of a systemic disease with a clear association with metabolic syndrome and its traits. There are several predisposing factors such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, dyslipidemia, high caloric, high carbohydrate intake, sedentary lifestyle, sleep apnea, gut dysbiosis, and epigenetic and genetic influences. They induce metabolic stress. And we can see end organ damage or complications such as hypertension, heart disease, congestive heart failure, liver disease with nephrology as its presentation or hepatic manifestation of metabolic syndrome. We also notice that there is pancreatic fat deposition in patients with nephrology, and this may lead to beta cell dysfunction and development of type 2 diabetes. Adipose tissue inflammation, insulin resistance can lead to dysregulated lipolysis and also further accentuate fatty liver disease progression. Vascular injury, chronic kidney disease is also a common clinical comorbidity associated with nephrology. We find that this metabolic stress is further induced and augmented by cytokine production, pro-inflammatory extracellular vesicles, hepatokines, and adipokine, causing and constituting multi-organ damage related to this increased metabolic stress. What should we target in NASH and NAFLD? And now we'll discuss pathophysiologic issues related to NAFLD and NASH. There's a clear crosstalk between type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, metabolic risk factors, and NAFLD, and progression of NAFLD to hepatic fibrosis and to cirrhosis, as well as cardiovascular disease and other manifestations of cardiovascular risk factors. What we find is that there's a complex interplay between metabolic syndrome traits and NAFLD, and both presence of NAFLD increases the risk for cardiovascular disease and also increases the future risk of developing type 2 diabetes. But we also find that metabolic syndrome itself and type 2 diabetes may increase the risk of progression of NAFLD to NASH. Therefore, there is a clear nexus of these metabolic abnormalities inducing liver disease progression as well as cardiovascular disease progression, as well as end organ damage in other parts of the body. There are established and potential risk factors for cardiovascular disease in patients with NAFLD. We find our patients to have atherogenic dyslipidemia, type 2 diabetes, other metabolic syndrome features such as hypertension, abdominal obesity. We also notice that our patients have elevated inflammatory cytokines such as C-reactive protein, IL-6, and FEDWNA. And reactive oxygen species may induce further damage to the vascular epithelium and endothelium. Here we are looking at potential therapeutic targets for treatment of NASH. And we have combined them or classified them into metabolic targets as well as anti-inflammatory targets. GLB-1 analogs are important because they help with improving insulin resistance by inducing weight loss they increase insulin secretion and decrease blood sugar levels. 
and then thereby decreasing the load of free fatty acids going into the liver. Increased flux of free fatty acids coming to the liver is associated with increased lipogenesis and also associated with mitochondrial dysfunction. This could induce a ER stress, potentially leading to reactive oxygen species, increase in junk, and apoptosis. Inflammatory milieu related to metabolic stress could also induce progression of nephrody to NASH. We know that activated Cooper cells or recruitment of Cooper cells to a quiescent hepatic stellate cell can lead to activation of hepatic stellate cell. And this may be induced by NLRP3 inflammasome activation, or could also be induced by lipopolysaccharide from gut microbial metabolites, as well as gut microbes. Therefore, there's a complex interplay between metabolic risk factors, as well as gut liver access and inflammatory cytokines causing disease progression in patients with nephrody and its progression to NASH and fibrogenesis. Among therapies, there are several therapies that are now being studied. FGF21 analogs are being studied in treatment of NASH along with GLP-1 analogs. And we are also looking at combination of many of these approaches. ACC inhibitor and DGAT inhibitor block fatty acid oxidation and also block key rate-limiting enzyme in fatty acid synthesis. We also are utilizing facet inhibitor that may also improve lipotoxicity in the liver. Thyroid hormone beta-receptor agonists may also improve liver disease by improving steatohepatitis. This action may be related to improving beta-oxidation and improving a mitochondrial fitness. FGF19 analogs have also been utilized and they've been associated uh, with improvement in bile acid toxicity and shutting down bile acid synthesis. FXR agonists are also being utilized for treatment of NASH in clinical trials. It has anti-inflammatory activities leading to improvement in hepatic fibrosis. So a combination of approaches utilizing drugs that have increased metabolic activity with drugs that may have antifibrotic and anti-inflammatory activity may be coming up in future. Here, we're looking at GLP-1 action in pancreas, liver, and gut. We do see that GLP-1 analogs lead to increase in insulin secretion, increase in insulin biosynthesis, and decrease apoptosis in the pancreas. It also leads to decrease in glucagon secretion by activation of alpha cells within the pancreas, increase in pancreas 14 enzyme biosynthesis, and increase in pancreatic enzyme secretion as well. Therefore, it plays an important role in pancreatic liver and gut access. How does it improve steatohepatitis? What is the potential mechanism? Well, with induction of weight loss, we see reduction in hepatic steatosis by modulating the insulin signaling pathway in the liver, reduce hepatic steatosis by enhancing the unfold protein response and promoting autophagy. And we also notice that it protects hepatocytes from fatty acid-related death by inhibiting dysfunctional ER stress response. So there are a combination of things that we see related to GLP-1 action. Patients lose weight, and weight loss is associated with improvement in hepatic steatosis, and we also notice improvement in NASH-related inflammation and apoptosis in the liver. Now looking at non-invasive tests and how we can identify patients who are at risk for disease progression. 
Risk factor for NASH and NAFRD progression include obesity, overweight, metabolic syndrome, and type 2 diabetes, as well as metabolic risk factors. Here are some of the non-invasive tests that are available to us that might be considered for assessment of at-risk steatohepatitis. The test that we routinely utilize for risk stratification as a first step is a FIB4. Several guidelines, including the ASLD guidelines, as well as the AGA clinical pathway, recommend in those who are overweight and obese individual to assess a FIB4. FIB4 is helpful in excluding patients who have high risk for advanced fibrosis. It has an excellent negative predictive value. Other non-invasive tests that are available as point of care include vibration control transgenital elastography that's available on a fibroscan machine. This test could also be utilized as a point of care test in a liver clinic. MR elastography is more advanced, and this is more accurate, and it's needed in those who have morbid obesity with a BMI of 35 kg per meter square or higher. Liver biopsy, although gold standard for assessment of NASH and fibrosis, is rarely utilized in routine clinical practice due to its invasive nature and lack of availability access to a liver biopsy facility. Here we're looking at FIB4 and NAFRD fibrosis score. If you were to choose one, I would recommend just looking at FIB4 because this includes age, ALT, AST, and platelets. If the FIB4 is below 1.3, this patient is at low risk for advanced fibrosis and may not need further assessment. And you could just monitor this patient with a serial FIB4 assessment every two years or so. Those who have a FIB4 of 2.67 or higher may need further testing or referral to a hepatologist. Those who are intermediate risk, that is a FIB4 between 1.3 and 2.67, might require a second test. And the second test might be a fibroscan or an ELF enhanced liver fibrosis panel, which we will discuss next. Enhanced liver fibrosis panel also available. This is a blood-based fibrosis test that includes three common serum biomarkers, including hyaluronic acid, P3NP, and TIMP1. A score below 7.7 rules out fibrosis. A score of 9.8 or higher predicts fibrosis. A score of 11.3 or higher is associated with cirrhosis. So this test could also be helpful. Here I'm showing you recent data where you could utilize a combination of tests, such as FibroScan along with CAP, which tells you liver fat content on a fibroscan machine along with liver stiffness and acetom EST. This test is called FAST. This can be utilized to assess who may have at-risk NASH, which is patients who have stage 2 fibrosis or higher who might benefit from treatment with a pharmacologic therapy. We've also assessed a combination of tests with MR elastography, such as MAST and MAFIB. MAFIB includes if a patient has a FIB4 of 1.6 or higher and a MR elastography-based liver stiffness of 3.3 kilopascal or higher. When you meet that criteria, you have significantly high risk for having stage 2 fibrosis. Here I'm showing you data in a head-to-head -head comparison between MAFIB, MAST, or FAST that MAFIB is superior to MAST or FAST for detection of both significant fibrosis, also for detection of at-risk NASH, that is, patients who have NASH with stage 2 fibrosis. ASCLD, NAFRD practice guidance recommends a sequential strategy. In patients who have high metabolic risk, we first start with a FIB4 assessment. If the FIB4 is 
1.3 or higher, then you consider doing a second test. And that may be a fibro scan or an enhanced liver fibrosis panel. This way, we can risk stratify a majority of our patients. Those who have a elevated Fib4 of 2.67 or higher may be referred to a hepatologist. And those who have a liver stiffness of 12 kilopascal on fibro scan or a ELF of 9.8 or higher may be referred for further evaluation in a liver clinic. The guidance also provides further guidance to clinicians in the GI and liver practice as to what further testing might be needed to further classify the risk of their patient. Once you have a patient who has cirrhosis, those patients may require yearly endoscopy or every six months HCC screening and surveillance, along with monitoring for liver disease decompensation risk. Establishing treatment goals, there are short-term goals and long-term goals. In our patients with NASH, our goals are to prevent liver disease progression, reverse the fibrosis, resolution of NASH, and prevent progression to cirrhosis. Long-term goals in a patient with liver disease are to improve clinical outcomes by reducing the risk of liver-related morbidity and mortality and improve all-cause mortality and improve and reduce cardiovascular risk in our patients. Here on this slide, we are providing you the guidelines that are available to clinicians from ASLD, AGA, EASL, ESED, ESO, and NICE. What we know is that you could utilize vitamin E or pioglitazone for treatment of NASH. However, if you're looking for treatment of type 2 diabetes in the setting of NAFLD, the guidelines are now converging that it may be beneficial for treatment of type 2 diabetes and obesity to consider GLP-1 analogs such as semaglutide in that setting because majority of our patients are overweight and obese and have type 2 diabetes who would benefit from weight loss as well as glycemic control. This is further seen using the AGA risk-based guidelines for management of NAFLD and NASH. In low-risk patients, what we recommend is management by primary care physician, dietitian, endocrinologist, and cardiologist based upon their FIB4. Those who have a FIB4 below 1.3 or liver stiffness of less than 8 kilopascal, pharmacotherapy for NASH is not recommended. However, these patients would benefit from lifestyle intervention and weight loss is clearly recommended in those with overweight or obesity. Pharmacotherapy for NASH is not recommended. However, CBD risk reduction is needed for all patients with NASH and NAFRD, regardless of their liver disease risk. For diabetes care, we recommend standard of care. For those patients who are high risk, that is those with a FIB4 of 2.67 or higher, or liver stiffness of 12 kilopascal, lifestyle intervention are recommended across the board. These patients may require additional therapies related to their liver disease and may also require assessment for whether they have cirrhosis or not. CBD risk reduction would also be needed. Majority of our patients might benefit from statin use, and therefore, consideration for statins for CBD risk reduction should be considered in all patients with NAFLD, regardless of their liver disease risk, except those who have decompensated cirrhosis. For diabetes care in patients with NASH, GLP-1 analogs and pioglitazone are recommended or given preferential suggestion for treatment of diabetes in those patients because they could potentially benefit and improve 
their liver disease as weight loss is associated with improvement in liver disease progression in patients with NASH. Now we'll briefly discuss data on pharmacologic agents for NASH that is currently available. There are no FDA-approved pharmacologic agents for treatment of NASH-related fibrosis. For low-risk patient lifestyle modification, control of cardiovascular disease, control of type 2 diabetes, and obesity are recommended. For intermediate risk patient lifestyle modification and workup to confirm fibrosis and consideration for treatment is recommended. Patients who have biopsy-proven NASH, 800 units of vitamin E daily is recommended, particularly in those who do not have type 2 diabetes. Patients who have type 2 diabetes, pioglitazone may be considered, but it may induce weight gain and therefore is not favored by many clinicians. Here I'm showing you data in patients with NASH with stage 2 or 3 fibrosis who were treated for 72 weeks with semaglutide versus placebo. Here you can see that semaglutide treatment at 0.4 milligram daily sub-Q injection was associated with higher resolution rate compared to placebo, 59% versus 17%. So semaglutide leads to NASH resolution in patients with NASH we saw no significant difference in fibrosis stage. Further studies are underway to see the role of semaglutide in improving liver fibrosis and also confirming the role of semaglutide in NASH resolution in a phase three international multicenter trial. Previous studies using liraglutide, another GLP-1 analog, have shown that GLP-1 analog induce resolution of NASH and may reduce progression of fibrosis. Here we see several agents that have been in clinical development for treatment of NASH-related fibrosis. Alafibrinol, Senecrivirog, and Selonsertiv have failed to achieve their registrational endpoint. Currently, resmetoram, obedicolic acid, and semaglutide, and aramcol are in phase three development. Here we are looking at some of the competitive data that's available in terms of one-stage improvement in fibrosis. You can see data on nephroxifermin, which is a FGF and 21 analog, that you can see significant improvement in fibrosis. Lenifibrinor, a pan-PPAR agonist, which is oral, in patients with stage one to stage three fibrosis, again, significant improvement relative to placebo. Obedicolic acid and FXR agonist, significant improvement relative to placebo. And semaglutide, Although no significant improvement, but I think numerically, we expect to have higher numeric improvement in fibrosis as we go into phase three program. Resmetoram, higher fibrosis improvement compared to placebo. And Pegosa-Furman, again, good response on improvement in fibrosis. This is NASH resolution landscape with monotherapies, showing that a lot of different therapies are showing significant NASH resolution rate. And therefore, the treatment landscape for NASH is very promising. One of the key things that we are looking for from these therapies is to show both NASH resolution as well as one-stage improvement in fibrosis. What are our expectations from the existing and new agents for treatment of NASH? We would like these therapies to show both improvement in NASH resolution as well as one-stage improvement in fibrosis and reducing the risk for progression to cirrhosis. We want these drugs to be safe to be used in intended population. Identify patients who need to be treated non-invasively 
exclude patients who should not be treated with the drug. So in conclusion, I think the major takeaways from this program include that non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and its progressive form, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, is the hepatic manifestation of metabolic syndrome. We not only want to treat NASH, the liver disease that our patients suffer, but also address the key metabolic abnormalities such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, and cardiovascular risk in our patients. We have new metabolic targets that are associated with liver disease improvement in patients with non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. Several new promising therapies are on the horizon and going through clinical drug development. And we expect many of these to be available for our patients in future if approved by FDA. Patients who are at risk for NASH, the progressive form of fatty liver disease, can be identified non-invasively in routine clinical practice by sequential non-invasive tests. The future of NAFRD risk stratification and treatment is bright, and we look forward to bringing new therapies to our patients who are suffering from NASH-related fibrosis. We thank you for your participation and for attention in today's program. This activity is certified by PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. This activity has been co-promoted in partnership with the American Gastroenterological Association. Remember to download the slides and practice aids. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash RVV 860. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk Incorporated.